I, I work for Pat Tove Radio and Sirius XM. And I think we're still going to have our job, but like the, the idea that just selfishly that I would lose a job in the media business because we didn't have football <laughs> never occurred to me. Like it's just, it's the craziest thing ever. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Chris Long, and you're listening to the Green Light Pod. And um, yesterday was a weird day, wasn't it? Like, uh, it was so weird that people forgot there was a vice president nominated. Like somebody said earlier, that uh, Kamala Harris nomination really stole the college football news thunder, didn't it? <laughs> it was it, it was a weird day, and I'm only laughing because I'm just wildly uncomfortable at the prospect of no college football, even if it's the safest thing to do. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And we're not just talking about this fall. Obviously there are far reaching implications that I continue to try to research and, and dig in on like so many people are right now. And the implications are just so hard to predict. I mean, you know, it's bad, but how far will it reach? How far into the future will it change college football? And I have a guest on today, um, who can answer those questions? Um, in my opinion, his podcast is called Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. So, uh, I don't have to give it one star and say, it's not true because Jeff Schwartz isn't smarter than me. I need him to be smarter than me on my podcast and I'll give him five stars. And I think he will be, he is a bright dude, former lineman in the NFL. Um, and you know, alignment are really smart. They just tend to be smart. Uh, and Jeff, I really enjoy his uh, his his football takes, and he knows a lot about college football. Pac-12 guy, and with all the kind of the epicenter of this player mobility and uh, the conversations we're having right now started, or you know, the roots were um, in the Pac-12 this July. And so Jeff, being an Oregon guy, is going to lay all that out, and we'll talk about pretty much whatever we can as far as today's concerned, because there are so many so many dimensions to this thing a little scary so the big 10 and the pac-12 i mean i don't know what success looks like for them i i suppose it's if shit hits the fan this fall which is a really weird way to think about it but i mean they certainly don't want to feel dumb and you know we make a miraculous turn for the better i mean i i think they for the greater good they want that but they're in a weird spot you know um i i do i do get the fact that if you're trying to keep hope alive, you know, uh, as a conference and you think it's not going to go well this fall, even if it seems implausible to move it to the spring, uh, you're just kicking the can down the road to make a final decision at some point at a later date. Because if you, if you say cancel, it's cancel. If you postpone, it's postponed. And, um, there are a number of challenges that me and Jeff will talk about when it comes to spring football. And we're not talking spring football like like if you played college football, you or I played uh, where you practice and have a spring game. We're talking about like 22 games in a in a calendar year and dudes opting out to get ready for the draft who would otherwise have played uh, another year of college football. It's going to get weird. Um, so the weird part to me is 
and maybe some of y'all can help me on this. I might be missing the point, but there's some schools like some, maybe some Mac schools, some smaller schools that and the Mac already canceled. They were the first relatively major conference to do that. They lose money. Some of these schools year to year. So for them, I wonder if they're looking at their, you know, their sheets, you know, what I imagine like the president has some big, like huge sheet, like the size of a fucking farmhouse table. And he's just like crossing shit off with a red pen. And he looks at football and he's like, Oh, we didn't lose money this year. That's kind of nice. I worry that, you know, some of these schools might not be actually forced to go away from football or think about going away from football, but effectively will be given kind of a, a choice that they look long and hard at because, you know, football wasn't that profitable to them. And maybe they're seeing that some other burdens are being eased. And right now, quite frankly, you know, football ain't the only thing in trouble. So um, I wonder about schools like that. I looked at 2018 rundown of, of, you know, the money coming in and, and, and going out when it came to NCAA football, $1.1 billion in ticket sales. Uh, that's out the window, you know, 2.5 or so billion dollars in uh, TV stuff. One of the interesting numbers, as I looked at, you know, money coming in and going out for the NCAA to make sense of like what this could actually look like in two variable situations, one being a season with no fans in the stands, the other being obviously no season at all. You know, one number that stood out to me was net across all those schools in division one. A. Um, it was like in 2018, $1.6 billion in donor money. That is a lot of money. And so I think one thing people look at as they, you know, check things off and cross things off as to what's going to be irrelevant this fall and, and what you're going to have to foot the bill for anyways. Um, you know, money that you're not going to get no matter what the $1.1 billion in ticket sales, uh, Donor money is kind of an unknown because if you think about it, uh, if you think about it really lazy, you might think people aren't going to give in in a tough time to a football program that's struggling. And that might be true when it comes to some schools. I mean, most of that donor money is, you know, pushed into a corner of, of a proverbial table to schools like Alabama and Michigan and that sort of thing. They, they're heavily represented and weighted in that number of $1.6 billion in donor money. And also when it comes to the TV deals as well, but at a big school, I, I don't feel like donors are going to abandon the program. I really think that, you know, you have to consider the fact that a lot of these donations come from really rich dudes. And when really rich dudes give to football programs, um, they care deeply about the program. It becomes like part of who they are. Like, you know, guys that give a lot of money to say UVA really identify with the, you know, the family aspect of I'm a part of this and they are. Um, and you can't underestimate the fact that some people might want to be the savior, the hero. Like I'm going to, I'm going to take it up a notch because I'm not hurting right now. America is, is largely hurting, but the really rich people are, are doing fine. And that's kind of fucked up. But I mean, uh, people that are cutting checks are still going to cut checks, especially for something that they are already invested in. So I think that, you know, I could be dead wrong and you might look at a net number that represents, um, you know, me being off the mark 
at the end of this this year. I still think that you know the number might be low, uh, but it probably won't be as low as you think it will be for big schools. And um, I think I think that's an interesting discussion. What's going to happen with the with the donor money? Because there is so much of it flying out the door year to year in college football. But this is not just a, a different year because there might be no football in the fall. It's also a, a, a year where people are, are feeling financial strain. But the really rich guys, the big donations might still come in. I also thought it was interesting. I saw a, a college basketball team. Uh, I think it was New Mexico State. You know, missed out on the WAC tournament in, in basketball this year. They sold $44,000 worth of tickets. Um, and if you've read this and I'm butchering this, just tell me, but they gave fans three options in the refund process. One, do nothing, get your money back Two, turn your ticket, you know, investment into a one-time tax deductible donation. Now, the third option was to roll it into next year as a credit through options two and three, they got back $17,000, which it's certainly not 44, um, but every little bit helps. And right now, um, you're seeing some college football programs do that as well. Some really prominent ones giving out that kind of three option system to fans who were all in this year on buying tickets. Um, another, another thing that I found interesting is you know, trying to identify the schools, which is a really morbid exercise, but the schools that are going to struggle here the most. Um, because we talked about schools that you know don't depend on football as their lifeblood anyways. They could move away from it for that reason and seeing that they're no longer in the red on something like that. You know, the big money schools are gonna survive. They'll get creative, donors will step up. Um, they have endowments. Um, football factories are gonna be fine. I'm curious about the the working man schools, like the, you know, the middle management type schools, relatively speaking. Uh, in college football that populate these power five conferences and give you the parity that you love. Um, you know, a anything can happen when it comes to college football every Saturday. And that's what I love about it. That's why I like watching it more than the NFL. The quality of play is not that high outside of, you know, a select few teams, but we love it. I mean, we freak out over, you know, big cats as Maction. Okay. Like people are into watching Mac football on the reg. A lot of them are gamblers, but I love college football because of the parody, um, because of the, you know, the pageantry, whatever, um, the tradition, and then, you know, just the volume. So the very thing I love about college football is probably threatened where I don't know who these teams are and where this line, this imaginary line is that when you cross it, teams are in danger. But, you know, I figure if you break down the NCAA and all the football teams that represent it into three zones, you know, people would think there's probably a green zone, a yellow zone and a red zone coming out of this you know, schools that are fine, but you know, um, they feel it schools that don't feel it at all. Those are the green zone ones. And then the red zone are ones that are in fucking trouble. Here's what I think. I think it goes straight green to, I guess, light red and then dark red. Like, Outside of a relative few schools, everybody's feeling this and it's like a crisis. So the financials, you know, are over my head. I, I do know that there are going to be schools that are going to struggle and the gap's going to widen um, for a number of reasons in conferences where there's, there's like juggernauts. So like if you get tired of seeing Bama win, you're going to be more tired. 
I mean, unless I'm missing the point here, because some other schools that give them competition, you know, relatively speaking, Saturday in and Saturday out are in trouble. And uh, I don't know what the answer is. So let's get Jeff Schwartz on. Maybe we'll cover some of this stuff. That's just like my brain dump on what's going on today. And there's so many questions I still have. Back on the green light pod, my good buddy from twitter.com, although I'm not on twitter.com so much anymore. Uh, it's a good day to be off Twitter. It's the most chaotic, one of the most chaotic days in sports history. Jeff Schwartz, what say you? Yeah, it's uh, chaotic. It's chaotic, actually. In the, it's a historic day in the world as well for for politics. Uh, but yeah. This has been uh, been maybe trumped by uh, college sports. So yes, uh, for those who who don't know, um, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, or cancel the football season. I tell you what, man, I, I work for Pac-12 Radio and Sirius XM. And I think we're still going to have our job, but like the, the idea that, just selfishly, that I would lose a job in the media business because we didn't have football <laughs> never occurred to me. Like, it's just, it's the craziest thing ever. Um, and as we see the Pac-12 and, and Big Ten come out and talk, the Pac-12 is, is talking right now. And they're being very forceful with the idea that, you know, the, the COVID is just still so unknown, right? Um, you know, a medical expert saying that, you know, it's still very prevalent. We, we don't really have the testing capabilities to feel comfortable testing our players. We know about the heart condition, uh, the heart symptoms that has been showing uh, in athletes um, with COVID as well. And they're just worried about the liability, it comes down to liability, the liability yeah. of playing for the season. It's not so much health and safety. It's really amateurism and that idea that they're still amateurs, right? Pro sports, you can't compare college and pro. No. Pro sports have unions. They Players agree to it. They're adults. They're getting paid. All the things are different. Dabo doesn't know that. Well, Dabo, yeah, he said a players association is not really a, a union. Okay, buddy. I was like, you know okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, do you know of any players associations that are uh, not effectively unions? <laughs> no, zero of them. He, he, he doesn't. Know, he's so yeah. against players getting he's out in, in outer space. I, you know, like I want to believe that there's some. Yeah, I think we do this thing with college coaches where we all hate amateurism on a level. Like we we do feel like that certain people shouldn't be getting paid so much and that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I hate to, to villainize Dabo. I thought he, he missed the mark, you know, at, in certain junctures when he could have used his voice or said the right thing. But maybe we shouldn't expect so much out of college football coaches. Maybe they should just coach football. The, yes. And I think that, that that maybe should be the case for, for all coaches in all different sports. But nonetheless, <laughs> um, you know, the power that these coaches have is going to be a little bit different after this. I mean, we, you know, we, we've seen the, the, we, the, we want to play movement, the, we are united movement that started that movement started in the Pac-12 conference. Are they going to get compensation as far as a salary moving forward? Probably not. Name image and likeness happens next summer, but the players realize they have a voice now and the coaches that don't, that don't understand the dynamic is changing. You know, when, when we played, there was like no questioning the coach. There was no publicly questioning the coach. There was no, um, you know, maybe we should do this coach or there was no, you know, health and safety. We had double days. We hit all the time. We just, you did what your coach told yeah. you to do. And that was the end of it. And now we have a generation of players that don't have to do that anymore. They can go to Twitter and say, my coach sucks. He works us too hard. Blah, blah, blah. And people are like, okay, great. He does. And then they, you know, pile on the coach. So, Players have voices now. We, we've seen that voice be demonstrated with We Are United. We see it be demonstrated with social justice. And the coaches have got to realize things are changing. And they might change even more with name, image, and likeness. And so this is a watershed moment for the NCAA. In my opinion, and Her Kurt Herbstreit said this too, and it's not like a, a 
crazy thing to say, but the structure of the NCAA is over. Like, like it's going to be got to change. Be- yeah. I, I didn't see what Kirk said, but I, I feel like they're just as much worried about, you know, I, at first glance, you're like, okay, March madness, that's 80% of NCA revenue. So you don't want the fall stepping on the spring. So they might be looking at the big 10, like what the fuck, man. But actually it's a, it's twofold. They're looking at the autonomy that these conferences are operating with. And like, what's next? Are they going to cut out the middleman when it comes to NCAA basketball? Are they going to do what they want? I mean, it's yeah. just like the NCAA, it's just when you dig, it makes no sense. 501c3. Yeah. And all they really have to wield is, is the threat of punishments. Which, again, I'm not sure players are as worried about. And um, we saw a complete lack of organization, of leadership, of foresight when it came to, to what's happening right now. Not just, again, a lot of what I'm saying about college football applies to the rest of the country, by the way. Um, but the idea yeah. that, you know, that like the conference couldn't get together and figure out a unified plan. I get it. Oregon State, Rutgers, they're schools that, that don't have the budget to pay for testing. I get that. The conferences do. Other schools in the conference do as well. If they want to play football, they could have found a way to pull things together, pull the resources together. Instead, the Big Ten's off announcing a conference-only schedule. The Big Ten's off announcing, obviously, they're counting the season. The Big Ten is just doing whatever they want. The Pac-12 yeah. is doing whatever they want. The ACC is doing whatever they want. That's just doing whatever they want. They're doing whatever they want. And this is yeah. why I think they're going to end up having some sort of group of five consortium together where they're just out of the NCAA. They're doing their own thing. They have a commissioner, and they make it work all together. And maybe the idea is no more conferences, right? Just 65 teams. There's a, a pay-for-play structure. You just you, know, you get a salary. You, you put a minor league football system. I don't know what it is, but – it's never going back. And the lack of leadership has been so exposed um, to this entire process. The NCAA has wanted no part of it. Um, and, you know, this health and safety thing is such BS, right? Oh, we're going to play spring football and you're wearing a health and safety? Are yeah, it's not going to be. It's also not going to be much. I mean, things could be different in the spring. If you're optimistic, we might have more ways to treat the disease, that sort of thing. But the thing that scared them, the straw that broke the camel's back, or what it feels like on the liability end, was this myocardia thing, yeah. which they've uncovered in a lot of players, which you could downplay and 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 all that, and you can get myocardia f- from the flu and other viruses. But I talked to my one of my old uh, doctors in the NFL, and they're like, you know, one of our biggest fears was always myocardia when a guy played with the flu and that sort of thing, and it's happening more with COVID. And like, I think to this point, the NCA was like, okay, if a guy gets COVID, there's a liability issue, and going to the ER, it's it's expensive and. God forbid somebody dies, which I think people forget about coaches. I mean, that that part is is glossed over a lot. I mean, what if a coach dies? These guys are out of shape. They're older, that sort of thing. I think that when it comes to liability, there's a greater fear of the unknown with the myocardia thing. It's not happening in real time. You don't know somebody's sick. You don't know like that this guy had COVID. You know, it's pretty clear when a guy's really sick and you're at risk to be sued. It's not clear when five, 10 years down the line you start getting sued for a heart condition that popped up and was quiet. I mean, they just don't know enough, but in the spring, the best thing we can hope for is a vaccine. Okay. But the distribution of a vaccine, you talk about concerts and that sort of thing. They're talking about 2022 in some circles, large crowd gatherings, because that, that vaccine is going to have to be distributed equitably. And it might be a bad look for college athletes to be getting to the front of the line on that thing in the spring. So I think there's a lot of unknowns. I don't think you'll have fans in the stands in the spring's best case, best case scenario. It's, it's, it's just all it is to me, Jeff. And I think it's all you can do 
even if it's disingenuous, is kick the can down the road because they're not ready now. They're just not. Well, they're not ready now. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, again, I, I get back to like MMA of our country. I know this might piss people off, but like the idea that, that I, I looked at playing football and the NFL has done, done a good job, by the way, of, of making sure the players have done a good job. It's like we've overcome COVID, right? I mean, look, this happened in March when we shut down. I figured by now we'd be like, okay, we're getting up for football, we're ready to go. And just, yeah. it just on the college level, it obviously didn't happen. There's many reasons for that. And I think it's okay to say this. I feel like you're in the same boat as me. It's like, I'm not quite sure whether it was oh, it was right to shut down or not. I'm not an expert. I don't right. know. Right. And you have to rely sometimes on experts. And the problem with that, which we're seeing, is that we have ACC doctors saying it's safe to play, SEC doctors saying it's safe to play, and the Pac-12 or the Big Ten doctors are like, oh, it's not safe to play. So, like, wh what are you supposed to believe? What are you supposed to do? And right. you can't – you're right. You cannot wait for a vaccine. Who's going to take, take it forever? It's going to – like, the people you talk to that say best-case right. scenario in the spring, we get a vaccine, then you've got to distribute it. Like, like you know, and spring is early. This is, like, from everybody. And, again, none of us are experts on this thing, again, which is why it's hard – when sports intersects with COVID, but everybody listening who has a Twitter and an opinion is, is a medical doctor, uh, by the way. I, so I, I do want to get back to, I want to get back to player mobilization, that sort of thing. But, but you, you, you mentioned the NCA and the silence. So we went down that road. I do think the tiger's already out of the cage, this big 10 move, the chaos that's ensued, the NCA getting caught kind of with their pants down with no plan, just hoping for the vest. These these conferences are seeing that eventually, to your point, this arrangement as it stands now is going to no longer exist. And this is only accelerating it. It, it. it can't exist. And it can't exist because the idea of amateurism is it's over. Like, like that's the thing is, is we yeah, it was over and, anyway. And, and, and I'm not sure that, that I am, that I agree that quote unquote paying players is the way to go. I'm not sure that paying them a scholarship plus a salary mm -hmm. is something that sh should be done. I think that we've lost the idea that a scholarship does to, to provide some value to a student athlete, right? It's a free education, the branding opportunities, and everything that comes with your scholarship, right? So I'm not sure paying the players is the way to go, but name and likeness will change everything. And I'm really, I am hundred percent for name. And yeah. That, that was a great step in, in certain places. And so that's going to change. Obviously missing a season, man. Like if you're the Pac-12 and Big Ten, how do you if the other three conferences play, how do you recruit? Like, how do you recruit uh, well, a, yeah. where the conference that sat out? Um, how do you make the money up? Look, the Pac-12 has said uh, internal memo leaked that they took out basically a billion dollars worth of loans, a billion dollars. Every school gets about $85 million to get through this. Okay, sure. But again, how do you just rebuild yourself? Because to your point, if COVID is no better next fall, which it might not be, yeah, what's the criteria for getting back to play? Now, I certainly hope I certainly hope it's back. I know I, I hope it's it's dwindled. I know you do as well. But there's no guarantee for any of this. So yeah, none of us are rooting again. Like, listen, I will be depressed, like low key, even even if even if it's the right thing to do, I'll be depressed if there's no college football. I mean, because I love it. I love it more than pro football. It's the parody. It's the unpredictability. It's the volume. And, and now it's so disjointed and we just don't know. And, and, and you talk about recruiting that sort of thing. I think if they do the spring thing, which <laughs> it'll be interesting if everything goes smoothly, I don't think anybody would complain to have the big 10 on TV in the spring, you know, like it'll compete with college basketball, which will be weird. If college basketball goes on as scheduled, 
One thing with the recruiting, and this is the trade-off of losing probably some transfers and that sort of thing. Has Jim Harbaugh ever been able to go down to like Northern Florida and watch a high school game and recruit? <laughs> I don't know how valuable that is while everybody else is forcing this thing this fall. Maybe the Big Ten and the Pac-12 can get into some homes in the fall. And to boot, if they're right, and it's a weird spot to be in with the Big Ten, like because clearly they want to be right, but do they want to root for a disaster this fall? Because we're talking about human lives and, sick yeah. and sickness. And so I, I think that there's a trade-off there. They could get a leg, leg up in some ways, but overall it's going to really hurt these conferences. I got to feel that way. It, it's going to hurt the conferences. By the way, as we're recording this, Jim Harbaugh is making his kids practice today. Like they're still practicing. This is chaos in pads. Like, like they don't, the coaches don't care. They just want to practice. They just want to play. They just want to like, that, like that's their entire life. Um, and yeah, I mean, and that's the thing about like, what's so what I'm most like kind of not anxious about. I don't, I don't really, I guess I'm anxious now, but I typically don't is that like the, uh, the future is unknown for college football. I mean, it, it's going to be again, to make a point for the fact that it's just to be different from now on. Yeah. Um, whether that's coming back in the spring again is is just utterly ridiculous, right? You you can't play two seasons in one calendar. That's year. and that's the number one part. You're talking about 22 games now. I know the Ivy League, and I had Bob Sarace on from Princeton a couple. Oh God, it feels like a couple months ago, right after they made the decision to push things to the spring. And I think that the Ivy League, as they usually are, are the canary in the coal mine as far as like the fall outlook, and they were in basketball in the spring and that sort of thing. But they're going to do it right if they do it in the spring. They're going to crunch the schedule down a little bit. It's going to be like kind of a little extended month or two of a season. And I, I wonder if they'll have to, instead of doing 22 games in a calendar year, we, we would never be able to, to handle that load. I, they have to do something. Well, I think that if, the, in my opinion, a spring football, if you want to get it in, should be two scrimmages essentially. So like I, you know, I went to Oregon, so you play Oregon state and Portland state or, you know, or, you know, you went to Virginia, you play Virginia tech and whoever the nearest or something, although yeah, Liberty, but, yeah. VMI, bad. right. Like you play like someone, right. Like you just play. So you just can, you know, you, you kind of get it in a little bit. So you, you, yeah. you, you practice your 15 practices and you, and therefore your body can still play again in the fall because I think the last thing the culture ball wants is then to delay the fall season start because you had, a spring season that went too long. Yeah. Um, you know, also there's like, you know, there's like simple stuff like injuries. Imagine a guy gets hurt week one of this spring season. They, they could be out two seasons now for one injury. I mean, yeah, you could lose two years and then you've got this big like backlog of guys petitioning for another year and that sort of thing. And then also pro guys, they're out. I mean, like if I'm, if I'm a pro guy and you're talking about like, Hey, just do this thing in the spring and they may move the combine back and that sort of thing. It just puts you behind the eight ball to deal with that rookie yeah. load of practice and volume and games, a 16 game schedule, which is a big, you know, this, and I know this, like your rookie oh. year, you're like, Holy shit. They talk about the rookie wall. I never quite hit it. I just wasn't quite ready, but like, yeah. it's just, it, it, it's a real thing. And, and if I'm a player, that's a pro prospect in the big 10, I'm probably not going to play in the spring. Now I will say in a perfect world, if they were able to execute it, notwithstanding the volume and all that stuff, I think they could survive none of their big time pro guys because at the end of the day, people just want to gamble, enjoy the volume, enjoy sitting in front of the TV. It's not college football is not that high quality of play. Anyways, it's not like if it gets worse, we're going to lose our minds. We already put up with kind of crappy play from all but 10 teams. Yeah, we would watch it. Of course, we would watch the fuck out of it. 
But the but I also think that we because we play, we understand the ramifications on the body if you kind of go at this in a way that's you know you can't preach health and safety again, which is what they're doing. And again, I think it's kind of BS. And then obviously have the players do this in 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 this in this fashion where you play all these games all at once. You're right. The pro guys are not going to play. So you're going to have a, a weird hodgepodge of players that you don't know, but you, of course we'll watch it. What, what I think should happen. This is obviously a pipe dream of mine. It's not gonna happen this quickly is the rock takes the XFL yeah. goes to, goes to Las Vegas in a, in a month and buys two hotels or rents two, two hotels and says, Hey, look, we're putting eight teams together. We're going to take the top college players that want to play. We'll pay them a hundred grand each. Yeah. We'll play, you know, at UNLV Stadium, we'll use the Raiders facility. We'll 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 practice in two places. We'll bubble everyone up, and we'll just play an eight game season. It's too, it doesn't really. It's not that clean. It's not going to work that clean. But there has to be some of that idea. I saw Major League Baseball talking about bubbling for the playoffs. I think the NFL is going to end up having to do that. They want to make totally, it through a season. I, I, Jeff, I so agree with you on the NFL. The chances of the NFL starting and stopping are a hundred percent, in my opinion. It's oh yes, because and again. We're not rooting against football. We stand to make money if the football season happens. We love football. I mean, I'm speaking for Jeff too. This is something I enjoy. I, oh, I yeah. want football, but the NFL to me, and this is my hottest take. I'm not sure it's actually hot. And, and I want to qualify it by saying in a perfect world, if the college players were getting paid and they had this shit together, you know, by now, mid-August, I think that college players would be easier to safely bubble and avoid oh, yeah. an outbreak than a pro player because college towns are not big cities. Yeah. There's more oversight. There's less, less autonomy and college players live with college players. They don't live with roommates that we call family members that go to school and go out to dinner and meet yeah. with their friends. Like I think that college football could pull it off, but they missed the boat on getting it together. But again, your point is accurate though. You can't bubble the players and call them amateurs. You just no. can't do it. No, nope. and, and and that's what this comes back. You know, this comes back to the, the the NCAA has finally had their day of reckoning with the amateurism idea. Because you're right, they could have bubbled up. Look, the NFL is doing a good job in training camp so far. Bubbling, there's been but very few positive tests. Camp. Did you see anybody outside of your teammates for a month? No, but 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 they're but they're letting them go home at night too. So like the yeah. spouses are doing a good job yeah. because the spouses, of course, want their husbands to play. Hats yeah. off! Shout out to the spouses. Yeah. They're they're doing a good job, but also too depends on the location. If you are in you know California, if you're in a certain state, you might not be able to do anything anyways. And 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 when we turn to the NFL season, like a, I think a lot of success will will happen based off of like your region. If you're in a, a city, a state that has everything open, you're going to be just players are going to get sick and you might have to forfeit two games. If you're in a region, if you're in California, we can't do anything right now. You're probably going to stay a little healthier than you would if you're in the South where you can just yeah. do whatever you want right now. Um, you know, if, if you're a Falcons player, you can, you have liberties to go out and do more things than you do. If you're a Rams player right now, there's also, um, there's also another angle to it. Well, along the same lines as Joey Bosa said this, and we talked about it on the last pod was Joey Bosa said, Hey, the most responsible team could win. And I, I tend to think there's something there. I think there will be certain teams who will be elevated because of their responsibility and geography. New England Patriots who yeah. play in Foxborough. Now that I know they've led the league in opt-outs, but they still have the continuity, the responsibility, and that setting that they live in. Like when you live in Foxborough, you live in Foxborough. Okay. Yeah. And if Bill says you're not leaving Foxborough, you're not leaving Foxborough. <laughs> if you play in Tampa, and this is the shame of this season, is I would love to see Tampa make a run. It's gonna be hard, not just in their division, but Ebor City, Tampa, nightlife. You know, Florida, the way they've handled this, 
and you don't have the continuity. So I, I think that this is going to like, from a pro standpoint, is going to reveal so much. And your point is terrific about geography too. I mean, not just the size of where the facility is. I mean, some people don't realize that when you play certain places, you're at 45 minutes outside the city. Oh yeah. If you play in Philly and South Philly and we'll see how Philly does. Uh, and one thing I loved about playing for the Eagles was the facilities right there in South Philly. So that's going to be a test for teams like that. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously what the issue with college football has become is that there's just, there's too many variables you can't control or the NFL can control a lot of things. The NFL travel is not as much as, as MLB. Um, and look, NFL players want to make their money. Like it's, it, I, in my opinion, it would be embarrassing if I was the player who got sick because I went to a bar and let my teammates down. We saw this with Cleveland Indians where two pitchers went out to a bar. They got they got COVID and everyone has hammered them. Everyone's hammered them for that. As so they I mean, should be, as they should correct, be. I mean, of course. You can't, you can't stay out of a fucking bar. Like everybody in the league is trying to make this work and collect a check and, and compete for a chance. The Marlins went to Atlanta like the first week. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing about baseball players. I think they realize, dude, that they're like, damn, I really liked being able to just be on the road 82 games a year or whatever it is. And just go out and be hung over the next day. Like they don't know how to play baseball without hanging no, out. They don't. I've, I've had baseball friends tell me like the, the stories about them playing hungover are, are legendary. And you they play better hungover. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. Um, and um, the special coffee that they drink. And um, so I, so I just, I just, it's, we're in a whole new territory. You know, there's, there's one thing that I, that I just, that's been brought up a bunch. I think it's a really silly thing. And I think that it's, it's emblematic of our society right now. A lot of people have said with college football being canceled, the players don't have the incentive now to, to follow the protocols, right? That the, that only with the, the season ahead of the players, would they social distance? Would they quarantine? Not quarantine. Uh, yeah. Would they wear a mask? Okay. That's why we are where we are in America. You, like you can't do it anything unless it's for you only the right. point of wearing a mask and keep away from people is so that we collectively got over this. Right. And I think it's so disingenuous and so sad and so selfish that people around college football are saying, well, the kids aren't going to behave now because there's no incentive to behave. Yeah. And it's also pigeonholing every college football player is just moronic and being like out, you know, who's fucked this up. It ain't all college football players It's mostly non-football players that have fucked this thing up. Okay. Like now football players represent a cross section of America. So there's certain guys that are less responsible, but it's very paternal as a coach. And I think this is one of the biggest problems about the college football culture is saying, Hey, they're safer with me. That's how they're safest. Yeah. When we know it's just about for college football coach, I'm not saying for all every college football coach, it's money first, but it's football first. You know, it's, it's not, if you really wanted them safe, you wouldn't have them practicing. If you're moving this yeah. to the spring, you know, like Harbaugh and I'm not questioning Harbaugh's like character. Some guys, that's all they know is football and they want right. to play football, you know? And, and, and I get that, but just be honest about the fact that you want to play football. It's not about the kid's safety. It just all ties back to amateurs. I'm on my opinion, right? Like, again, you, you can't say it's unsafe for the kids to go to school, but safe for the players to play football together. Right. And like you, and so, yeah, I, I, the thing about these arguments is that it's, it, and it's very clear that there are people in the media that are afraid of losing their jobs. I'm afraid too. Yeah. And they're kind of projecting that out into like making some of these arguments of like, we should play football no matter what, we should do yeah. this no matter what. I mean, it's not, I wish it was that simple. 
But it does look like there's a problem when we have three conferences still playing as of right now. The Big 12 might, the Big 12 pulls the plug, which they're talking about just delaying the start of their season, then we're in trouble. Then it's probably all going to end up collapsing. Yeah. It's just. That's like the sketchiest guy at the bar not taking a shot like of something. You're like, maybe I shouldn't take a shot of that either. It's hard to justify again the, the thought of the players. You know, you 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 have two conferences saying it's not healthy to play, and then you have another conference saying, "Oh, it's fine to play." Like I just, it's so um, disjointed, disjointed, and it does lead to the argument the players should make of like, "Hey, um, yeah, what? Well, am I a pro then? Like, if they're playing, what, am I? Should I get paid for playing? Do I get hazard pay for this? Like, what about players in their mobilization? Because we we talked about scary time for the NCAA. Yeah. Ooh, Zoom calls and hashtags and the NCPA, which has reared its head before and trying to help uh, Northwestern unionize yeah. in 2014. I mean, one thing that I think people are missing the boat on is you can't technically unionize. Correct. You have to be a trade association, which yes. is, I, I'm glad people have brought up on Twitter. You know, people have said that they think the Big Tw- the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceled their season for this reason. I don't think so. I'll tell you why I don't think so. One is that... Um, you know, the Pac-12 met with their players and basically told them to kick rocks and all the economic stuff. Like we're, we're like, like we're not talking about this, and 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 they're not. They're not going to do it now. The COVID protocols, things like that. Sure, they were like, we're going to have those discussions with the players, but even in this moment, there has been a lot of confusion in in my mind. We have the Pac-12, the NCAA, and the Big Ten, and all the conferences saying, "Here's our COVID guidelines. Here they are." Also, we're you're not signing a liability waiver. We're not offering that to you. Yes. And yet the players are still like no liability waivers and where are our protocols? And I'm like, well, the, the protocols are here. There's no liability waivers. And the players have individually said at certain schools, we're doing a great job. Right. So there's again, like another communication disconnect between what how the players feel, which is, or how the conference is approaching this to how individual schools are approaching this. There's just no leadership at all. Now, yeah. the main point of the We Demand letter from the Pac-12 was the economic stuff. And look, I, a lot of it is just, um, it's not going to happen. Um, you're not getting 50% of revenues. You're not getting another year of scholarship. I mean, there's things in there that are just never going to happen. They shot for the moon. Yeah, again, pro players I, aren't getting, yeah. I mean, they've struggled to get 50. And I, and I don't think you're going to see economic changes on the wholesale next season. And so I don't think the Pac-12 was worried about that. People said they canceled for that reason. I don't think so. I don't think they're worried about that. No players were going to boycott, okay? Maybe like three players, but the rest of them were going to play. We see you think out of the 400-plus, there would be like single digits that would actually follow through on that? Yes, and I think it's even less for impact players. Here's my thing on that whole thing. I mean, like, I think that, I think that all of this is positive. You had Chubba Hubbard with the OAN shirt, which, yeah. you know, to each his own. I think it's just, I, I'm glad he said something, uh, you know, that there's, there's Trevor Lawrence who yeah. is, you know, the all American guy who, who comes out with that hashtag, which included demands. Um, and I, it's funny, just emblematic of players taking actions in their own hands. Like that chalkboard thing that they wrote the graphic up was like, yeah there was a guy who's a graphic design major who chipped in and you know, it's, it's Trevor and there's guys from oh, yeah. the, the, the pack 12 talking on zoom calls. It's like, it's a small world now. And honestly, ironically, the way a lot of people painted it immediately was these two groups are opposed. A lot of, they wanted the same things. It's just the pack 12 guys. It seemed like we're trying to tackle the the big thing right now. And there's, there's a, there's talk that, 
and there's an opinion out there, which I think there's some validity to, although I admire guys standing up and saying like, we need to have our voices heard and shoot for the moon. There's an argument for just focusing on the health and safety right now and getting a seat at the table and saying, we will be heard from when these things are addressed in the next yeah. few years. Cause they will be. And, and the mobilization part is, Hey, if there's no fall for these players in the, um, in, in the pac 12 or the big 10 use this time to mobilize. Cause when as a college athlete, even yep. the brightest guys don't have enough time to do anything, but study, bury their heads in books, you know, and play football. And you're only there. The two impediments to mobilization for college athletes are the span of time. It's short yep. and the turnover is great. You can't, and again, you can't technically unionize because what happened to Northwestern yeah. in 2014 was, and correct me if I'm wrong, I figured you're the only guy I could have on there. I actually know what the fuck I'm talking about here. They went to the National Labor Relations Board, uh, the NLRB. They go to the board. We want to unionize, okay? Then they kick it to D.C. And D.C.'s like, nah, we don't have jurisdiction because you're a private school and most of the schools you play are public. And state to state, things vary. And like, for instance, at Clemson, being a, a public employee in, in South Carolina the Supreme court has ruled that you can't unionize. So the problem is there each player at Clemson would have to individually negotiate. Whereas like at different schools, the rules are different. And to, to our point, it's just it. Now you could do the trade union thing. And I guess I'd have to ask you, because yeah. I assume you know more than me, what the hell is the difference? If you go to at ruling sports, Alicia Jessup wrote a really good job, kind of a summary of, of what was basically what you said, which is the idea that, um, you know, that, um, you know, public, you can't form a union being like a public entity, right? You can form it like as a private school, a union, but right. you can't form it as like, as an, as an entire NCAA players at public schools forming this together. And so a trade association is something that, that can be now. I don't know how much, like, I don't know how much power a trade association has, but they can definitely um, get on the same page and try yes. to achieve having a singular voice. It Correct. sounds like it sounds like two things that are relatively the same. And I know, you know, but there, there are some key differences, but it's like on a technicality, you can kind of circumvent all the, the bullshit that you couldn't yeah. overcome with, with a union. I, I just say this about, about, you know, the end goal, which is, or kind of the, the, the number one leverage, which is always the sitting out part. And we see this in the NFL side. It never happens in football. I don't know why. We just don't do it, okay? We never sit out. Baseball has sat out recently. Basketball has sat out. We haven't done it since, what, 89, I think? Is it like, or this is the last time that we had a strike? And ironically, that's the precedent for people forming a trade association and and, uh, yeah. and filing for antitrust and that sort of thing. Like after the union was decertified in, in I guess it was late 80s, early 90s. Well, yeah. And they held the whole thing with free agency too in 1993, which was part of that whole process. And so like, we just don't sit out. And so the idea that a bunch of college players are going to form this trade association and then just sit out and hold out, unless the structure of you know preparing for the NFL changes, the players yeah. aren't going to sit out. And then that's the thing too, is like, I, I wish them well in forming this trade association. I wish them well in getting the leverage they have, but you have to sit out. And that's the biggest impact that'll have on this. I just don't think players are willing to sit out at that age and do that to make that decision. Well, I think one of the big deals in the NFL and you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I mean, like average career, it's, it's over in a blink. And if you're lucky, you play 10 years. I mean, yeah. um, you know, and, and so a missed year in the NFL, yeah really hampers your earning potential just from an age standpoint. Like say you're, 
say you're a 30 year old guy and you've got your best chance to win a Super Bowl or yeah. you got a big check coming, like you sitting out and being on the wrong end of 30 is a big deal. That year loss is a big deal. So, and I, I also think it's just the culture too. It's there's more athletes. It's harder to get on the same page. 53 man rosters and in yeah. college, even bigger. And some guys who play college football, and by the way, I'm all for them getting paid. Although I know it'd be a shit show trying to figure out how. Um, I'm all for the name and likeness thing. Not every college football player cares that much. There are guys that came from means and are they going to stand by guys that are really fighting for, you know, supporting their family and the next guy, you know? So I guess the question for me before you go here, Jeff would be, do you think that certain players, if we enter an opt out situation, you know, if guys were vocally instrumental in forming that group out in the PAC 12 are going to come back the next year and have to deal with coaches who are saying like, I don't trust that player. I have something against that player. Of course. Yeah. I did in the NFL. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about the NFL because you know, you're unionized. Coaches don't care. The coaches don't care. Like, yeah, like the coaches don't really hold that against you. The NFL, um, because they want to win. Like they get paid to win. And they, if you're back to help them win, they're all for that. College is a little different in that. I mean, they want to win obviously, but of course it hold it against you. We already saw Nick Rolovich. He didn't dismiss the player for that reason. The player opted out, but he's like, why are you joining this thing? Like, like, tell me about this. What are you doing? Like, of course, not all coaches are going to like this college coaches. We went started with this. They have a power. The NFL coaches do not have over the players. Right. Um, You know, and that power gets challenged when players use their voice and use their platform. And some coaches can't handle it. If Dabo wasn't winning so much at Clemson, he'd be a great example of a, of a coach that can't handle it. Now, obviously they win. So players, I think, forgive him for doing that. But there's a lot of coaches that just don't get it yet. And they're going to get it after the season's over. There's no season. But after this whole ordeal's over, the players have more power now. Yeah. And we'll see. It'll be interesting. We saw in the NFL, Jack Del Rio, uh, he he, said something along the lines of, well, I can't share my views on opt out players. So even in the NFL ranks, you have to be worried in, you know, deep down how you're thought of. If you stand up for yourself and college players are really, I I applaud the guys that are speaking out. It might be a little overly ambitious, but they're doing a good job. Jeff Schwartz, uh, Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you podcast. Yes. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. It's always great having you, buddy. All right. Take care, bud. Have a good one. All right. So that was Jeff Schwartz, uh, as always. And I say, as always, <laughs> this is what we do. I say things like as always, and we've only had Jeff Schwartz on twice, uh, now, but as always, he is a terrific, terrific guest with a wealth of knowledge, not just on the O-line, but on college football and a plethora of other things that my brain just can't get wrapped around. Very smart guy. Five stars. Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you podcast. I'll plug it again. Listen, I just turned on the TV. It's late at night. Uh, I want to do a mailbag. I turn on the TV and I'm watching Pelicans Kings. Um, at first I was like, what kind of jokes can I tell about being in a, in a bubble at Disney world? Um, and being eliminated from the playoffs. But I am not going to be disrespectful towards dudes who have really taken something seriously um, and showed up with no guarantees, played their asses off. Um, wow, Giannis got ejected. That's a little headbutt. A headbutt trainers, the trainers are like, you just you can't do that in the, the age of COVID. You can't headbutt somebody. Um, yeah entertaining 
Uh, thank you, NBA. That's the point. The NBA has really busted their ass on this thing. And I know me and Ryan talked about it last week. Like they deserve, the players deserve to be commended. Um, know they get paid a lot of money. Know that sometimes we dehumanize um, athletes because they, they have less problems than regular people, I suppose. And, uh, you know, it seems like a, a fantasy world. Uh, but these guys are doing something in the middle of a pandemic that's kind of helping hold people together. So I appreciate that. And the people that show up to this bubble uh, and know that they might not go to the playoffs or, you know, statistically are all but eliminated. Although the NBA was quite accommodating with some of these teams, um, you know, the guys that show up and play their asses off, a lot of them are like, they just got signed and that sort of thing. It's pretty cool as a pro athlete and uh, shout out to Kyle guy who's been in the bubble for the Sacramento Kings. Um, UVA's own UVA's finest. One of the keys to us becoming now two years running national champions. Um, these guys are away from their families. You know, I saw the sun's intro tonight. If anybody saw it, it was like a surprise starting lineup announcement from, you know, if you're on the sun's, whoever calls your name is going to be probably somebody in your family, whether it's like your daughter or, you know, a brother, a sister, you know, your dad and the guys weren't expecting it. And it was pretty cool. And it just reminded me that like, yeah, God, I know these guys have a lot of money and we're not supposed to feel bad for anybody, but like, it's pretty cool. They're able to pull this thing off for everybody. If you like the NBA. Now, one thing that I appreciate the most about the NBA though, um, when it comes to pulling this thing off is that they managed not to bring my New York Knicks. It's quite the respite. Uh, I really appreciate that. It's the, the, the icing on the cake for me, but I don't want to dwell on my main team. You know, uh, as, as if you're a green light pod listener, you know, I have a side team and that is the Portland trailblazers, uh, playoff Portland trailblazers, or at least they're in the driver's seat when it comes to playing game 61 tonight for Dame. I saw a tweet and I agree that uh, everybody in the league should be pissed off at Paul George and Pat Beverly for what, what they've done. This man is possessed, man. He's fucking mad. He's really mad. He was mad. <laughs> he was mad in the post-game interview. <laughs> like, Damian Lillard, you just got in the playoffs. How do you feel about that? <laughs> like, just, just not happy. <laughs> just still mad. Not over it. Uh, I want to do this to the playoffs and I hope he does. Also a guy had 73 saves tonight in a hockey game. That was cool. I mean like stuff like, yes, it's so bleak right now. You know, sports are threatened in the fall, but like if you're a sports fan, there's still good stuff going on out there. And like these athletes are really persevering and it's pretty cool. Um, I am stoned. Okay. I'm not sitting on the couch with my mouth open, like um, trying to identify what the ringing noise is stoned. Um, I'm just, I'm just laying the driveway, looking up at the the trees and listening to the cicadas stoned. If you live in Virginia, you know what a cicada sounds like. Um, it's like my favorite sound in the world. They're loud as hell. Not to be confused with the bugs we used to call heat bugs. Uh, eloquently at football practice in, uh, in NFL training camps in St. Louis, like, you knew it was hot 
when those bugs started making a bunch of noise in the, in the morning, that was like a strictly a training camp thing. Those bugs didn't say a fucking word January to July, August 1st, first day in pads bugs are like, it's like the bugs wake up to watch football and guys overheat and be uncomfortable and hit each other. Not to be confused with those bugs. That is the worst sound on the planet. Cicadas though. Beautiful sound along with a passing train in the night. Okay, guys. Yeah, I'm stoned. Um, I get both of those things with regularity in the great state of Virginia. Uh, and this time of year is awesome for that. You know, I was saying I did lay in the driveway tonight and, 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 uh, I'm trying to tell you, I'm not that stone. Here's how, you know, really stone guy forgets the, the code to the side door. I did not forget the code to the side door. And, uh, and I also made it in time to say goodnight to the kids. So, you know, you go out, take the trash out, you come back in 20 minutes, <laughs> your wife kind of knows what time it is. Um, my lovely wife, Meg. So I decided tonight, um, as I was walking back in the door, thinking about what I would explain to, uh, Meg, what I was doing outside, laying on the ground in case she saw me outside, like, is he not well? Uh, no. He's just taking a break. Um, I decided that, Hey, I got to do this mailbag tonight. Let's brand this motherfucker, man. Stone mailbag. I'm I'll, I'll work on the name. That's, that's the first thing off the top of my head tonight for obvious reasons. Um, and don't clutch your pearls. Okay. I'm not that bad. This is destigmatization. Okay. Stop. Stop being all dramatic. Some of y'all are drunk listening to this podcast. <laughs> drunk. And I've never thought about that before. I don't know if people actually like drink and listen to podcasts. Um, I think that's a bad sign. I think if you're drunk, you shouldn't be listening to a podcast. And if, um, if you're listening to a podcast drunk, you should maybe not be drinking as much. Um, so I think doing a mailbag stoned, like, whatever, not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, guys. Okay. Uh, and I'm not here to shame on the drinking and podcasting thing. If that's how you like to listen to the podcast drunk, <laughs> I guess that's what it takes to, to stomach me for an hour and a half. Um, first one, young Eli, longtime listener, first time mailbagger. Why the hate for the Terps? Okay. So I make mention of this all the time. I do not like the Maryland Terrapins. Um, Torrey Smith, great guy. Um, Aaron Henderson, great guy. Haven't talked to him in a while. Um, you know, Stefan Diggs really like his game. It's not like I hate the players. Okay. I just don't like anything about the school or the football program. And here's why. Just hear me out. When you play football for Virginia, in the era I played football in, you know, in Virginia, you were on the front end of what turned into being a 15 year streak of not being beating Virginia tech. That's not good. So you effectively don't really have a rival. Like for those years, now we're back on top and we're busting that ass every year from here on out. I may not have beat them, but my guys got them. Okay. Charles Snowden's got them. Fucking Bryce Perkins got them. Bryce Perkins got him in a big way last year. Okay. And you hope he's listening. 
you had your 15 years. Um, but when you lose to him four years in my case, and then when, when you continue to lose to him as a program for so long, in fairness, I don't do the, that's our big rival thing. You also selfishly don't want to have a rival that's beaten you 15 years in a row. So I kind of, I kind of picked the team that I hated the next most. Um, and that was the Maryland Terrapins. But the difference between tech and Maryland to me is that I do not respect Maryland. I respected tech. Okay. Like tech, those guys played hard. A lot of those guys I was cool with off the field um, and continue to know some of them off the field and played against some of them in the pros. And, um, you know, used to sack Tyrod Taylor and rush Dwayne Brown. I like both those guys a lot. In fact, I got to know Dwayne pretty well. Um, Vince Hall, if you guys remember Vince Hall from the Commonwealth listeners was one of my best friends in St. Louis. We were rookies together, me second pick, you know, Vince undrafted, but we just gravitated. Not like guys don't hang out depending on where they're driving, but you know, like he wasn't, he wasn't there as long. And, um, we got tight, man. And, uh, you know, I, I, I always respected tech players. I just, uh, I don't respect, uh, Maryland so much. No, no, no slander of Torrey Smith, no slander of Stefan Diggs or Aaron Henderson or even Scott Van Pelt. Okay. Love the guy. He knows I hate, I hate the Terps. And part of that is cause you know, tech used to, used to get after us. Not anymore though. Um, also like for a while, until I was introduced to the Eastern shore, which I really liked the Eastern shore. Okay. All you know about Maryland is traffic, like those weird Brown brick walls that are 40 feet high to try to shield the noise of like I four ninety five from the people that decided to live right on the side of that highway to have a job in DC. Um, and then the rest areas, uh, but Baltimore, terrific, terrific seafood could eat until I just killed over and died like in Baltimore. And then, um, Eastern shore, shout out to the Eastern shore. I like it there. Um, somebody said, give Lane Johnson a wrestling name. I was going to bite, but honestly, I got to think of a good one. I'll get back to you on that. But Lane, Lane Johnson, absolutely. I just have a vision of him in uh in a post-retirement haze just aimlessly walking around a wwf ring is that even a thing anymore wwf it's something else isn't it um but he's just he's a fucking throwback he's a 90s wrestler you can see him with fucking black stretchy pants and for some reason i see an eye patch just for some reason first thing that came to mind was dead end lane <laughs> and he would just mumble it in his promos. Dead end lane. But I can do better. I'll think about it. I know he's he's uh he's tight with those guys. So I think he's aligning himself for a second career. And I do not blame him. I hope like I've never gotten tickets from a wrestler before. I hope Lane looks out for me and gives me like good tickets. I don't want to like drive to Tulsa in 2026 and like show up stand in will call fucking basically like it's like a monster truck rally will call but it's just wrestling and i've been to a monster truck rally i've never been to a wrestling match 
and fucking get there, get my tickets and, you know, strut to the front row. And they're like, no, dude, you're up at, up in the top. So Lane, when you're a, when you're a, a wrestler, give me good tickets. Dead end lane. You use that. You got to pay me. Uh, on record. Copyright trademark. Um, Franimal. You ever worry that Bob Seeger isn't getting the love he deserves? Dude. Yeah. The guy says, dude, only made fire. Uh, Bob Seeger. Fuck yeah, dude. All right. Uh, I had a shirt on the other day and passed somebody at the gas station. And it's a Bob Seeger shirt uh, that I got at a concert. And uh, I got a compliment on it just the other day. Look at you talking about Bob Seeger. I said to her, yeah, I, I got it at a real concert. She was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Good for you. That's where you're supposed to get shirts of bands and people like Bob Seeger. Yeah. I saw Bob Seeger in St. Louis. Um, took my dad. Um, Bob Seeger reminded me of my dad. Always reminds me of my dad. You know, the, the whole fucking Chevy commercials kind of ruined it. Even though they were awesome commercials in the nineties it kind of corporatized the song that reminded me of my dad. And then my dad went and pitched Chevy. So <laughs> go figure. But my dad is like a rock, you know, the most dependable dude, the toughest dude I know, you know, and uh, Bob Seger summed it up perfect. So he always reminded me of my pops and uh, we went to see um, Bob in St. Louis and then, you know, my dad, he's not a drinker, not a partier. So after the show, he's like, all right, man, I'm gonna go back to the hotel. And so we got passes to the back, me and my buddy, Aaron, and, uh, we're waiting down there and we meet Alto fucking Reed. And for those of y'all who don't know Alto Reed, just Google Alto Reed. And then, uh, listen to the song, turn the page by Bob Seger. If you haven't heard that you're in for a fucking treat. And when you do listen to it, if you know it, the part with the saxophone, that would be Alto Reed. And for that reason, I was kind of starstruck when I met Alto Reed. But then next thing you know, Alto Reed invites me and my buddy Aaron to his post party. And we're partying with Alto fucking Reed. I don't like to name drop on this podcast, but I am name dropping Alto Reed. And I'm not talking about like a, we went back to the Bud Light Lounge for an hour and a half. We were burning it down with Alto Reed till 3 a.m. I don't remember the last hour and a half, two hours of hanging out with Alto Reed. <laughs> Reed, can you, Cowboy Reed, my Reed, can you, um, can you put the little Alto Reed saxophone in there to, to end this question? Yeah, that's so soothing. That's, that's such, such a badass fucking sound. And you know just who's playing it. And we hung out with him. Alto Reed. Shout out to Alto Reed. Um, Jesse Fallon asks, will you adopt me? Buddy, get in line. Everybody wants me to be their dad. Okay? I get the question a lot. Did a little research on you, Jesse Fallon. Found out that you have a private profile, a little sketchy for you to solicit. I don't know if that's solicitation, but asking to be adopted on my first stone mailbag with a private profile. 
dude, if you want to get adopted, make your profile public, please. Okay. Also says your, your location is Boston and Philadelphia. Who do you think you are? Huh? You can't do both. (laughs) Or can you, uh, you look college aged. Um, you look college aged that, that to me is a little alarming. Are you not doing much? You know, why do you need to be adopted? What's the purpose of this arrangement? You know, after college, I don't loan money to my kids. So just consider that and um, sink or swim, Jesse. Consider yourself not adopted. I'm sorry. Let's end on a high note, okay? Laura Casera asks, if you could only live in one stage for the rest of your life, which one would it be? It's a great question. Right now. Laura, because I'm work, I'm working on something. Okay. I'm glad you asked me this. I am working and I am not trying to be one of these influencer people that gets on, you know, their podcasts or fucking Instagram is like life coaching. (laughs) I am pretty damn average at life. Okay. But I am working at trying to live in the present. Okay. And I've never been, you know, I've probably never been happier post football. So I got great memories behind me and I got a lot of great memories in front of me. Um, it's not a bad place to be. I, I, I know you might think like I'd say uh, Super Bowl year or the beginning of my career, my childhood or something. But like, honestly, this is pretty fucking cool. I get, I got two young kids that are healthy and, um, you know, happy and they're starting to play with each other. It's fucking cool. When you see your kids start raising hell together, it's a problem. Um, by the way, my, my oldest son's name is Waylon. And I was just telling my producers watching this Ken Burns country music documentary, quick plug for what's going on later in the week. Um, we have Ken Burns, Ken fucking Burns. Okay. Ken Burns coming on the pod. Okay. Just let that sink in for a second to talk about his country music documentary series uh, that came out recently. If you hadn't seen it, it is magnificent. And you don't just have to be a country fan. I mean, like I definitely like country. I know a lot of old country songs. There are a ton of songs and figures that come up in the documentary that I'm excited about. You don't, you don't have to be a historian to like this thing. Like there's going to be so many aha moments for you, but I say that to say this. I mean, I knew Merle Haggard raised hell as a kid. But they were like talking about him like, hey, Merle Haggard used to run away from home. I was like, oh, cool. I did too. I ran to this tree house like down the street. And like I stayed there for an hour. And then my mom was like, I thought I like I like waited my parents out and won. Like they came down the driveway. Um, Merle Haggard ran away to fucking Texas. Okay. (laughs) He hitchhiked at like 10 to Texas and then like would hop on trains and just ride them around the country at 14 and then just come home and got in trouble so much. He ended up in San Quentin and actually did two and a half years there. So this is extreme, (laughs) but I said, I'd start to call my youngest son, Luke Merle, because he, if my older son's Waylon, my son, Luke is a terror, the cutest kid in the world, but just a total terror. And it might be Waylon and Merle. Now he might just have to be, Luke Merle Long, although he's Luke Redding Long right now, and I don't want to 
I don't want to kick uh, Otis Redding's namesake out of the picture. A lot of music, man. I'm like willing these kids to be cool as shit. Come on, just follow through, guys. One of you's name's Waylon. The other one's middle name is is Redding. You guys got no excuse. Um, but it's the best time, you know, I've had in my life post football, no stress. The only thing I got to wake up and answer to outside of my family is, uh, delivering on the podcast. And I hope you enjoyed this one. And I hope that you'll tune in Friday. Um, when it comes to Ken Burns, don't let the country music thing fool you. Um, it won't just be about this, this documentary. Um, it'll be about his whole career. Uh, but we will focus on what you should definitely check out in the country music uh, series you just did. So Ken Burns Friday, appreciate you listening and uh, y'all take care.